Please pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for bringing us here together today. Lord, I pray that your spirit would have reign in this room, Lord God, that you would open our hearts to you, that you would open our minds and our lives to you, Lord God, that you would do great and mighty things in us today, Lord, and that you would draw us close to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. Morning. Everyone dig out of the snow at their houses. Ah, I've been loving all this snow. It's been so nice. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Well, there is a place of great temptation uh, just over a block away from here, at least for our family. Uh, We really wrestle with this place. It is the uh, culture shock yogurt, frozen yogurt place. Anyone ever been there? Oh, yeah, just down Mill Street right before you get to Maine. That place is dynamite. Uh, and believe me, not, they're not paying me for the endorsement. I am, I'm, we're keeping them in business, I think, at this point. You know, because we have no excuse living where we do. I mean, we live right there. We can't say, oh, it's too far. We don't have gas in the car. I mean, there's not, it's just right down the street. But when you go in there, what you do, it's, it's pretty cool. You get yogurt, by the, you pay by the ounce, right? So it's all based on weight. So you think, how much can this cost, right? You know, I'm sure I can limit myself. But what you do is you like pull your little bowl out it's like this, and then you go over to this selection of yogurt types, right? And usually we're serving the kids first. So the other day I had Ella there, and uh, you know we're so we're picking the yogurt, so we get a little bit of yogurt in there. Then you do a right face, and right there is a selection of, of warm and cold liquid toppings, right? There's like hot fudge, oh, and like chocolate out of a pump. I mean, oh man. That stuff, you can't stay away from it. And then there's strawberries and cherries and then whipped cream. And then, then you pick a few of those with the kid. And then the next thing is you go to this row upon row of candies and crumbled cookies and treats. I mean, it is just, it's amazing. And so the kids see those. And Ella won, last time I was there with her, every gummy thing they had. We got, and you never know what kind, they have so many different kinds of creatures that are gummy form now. I mean, so we had gummy worms, gummy bears, gummy like fish, gummy uh, frogs, I think were on there too. We had all kinds of gummy stuff in there. And it looked pretty gross, but it was, it was exactly what she wanted. She built her little concoction step by step, each step adding on the previous and building upon it till it was finally what she wanted to eat. I think something like that is being presented in our gospel passage for today, right? Well, hopefully you'll agree with me by the end of the sermon, otherwise I completely failed. But I got to talk about ice cream, or frozen yogurt, which I like to talk about, so it won't be complete failure anyway. Uh, In our gospel passage for today, we have the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, the Samaritans are not popular at all in Israel. The reason is, is because when the Israelites were exiled from their land by the Babylonians and the Assyrians a long time before this gospel passage, uh, what was left behind were the few, like a few of the poorest Israelites. They were left behind in the land of Israel. The rest of the Israelites got taken away in slavery and captivity to Babylonia and Assyria. And so those few Israelites who stayed behind kind of got the pick of the land. They moved into the houses of the other people. They started to till in their fields. They started to, you know, just kind of took things over. And some Assyrians and Babylonians came in and intermarried with these Israelites that were left. And that 
the result of that were what are called the Samaritans. They became the Samaritans. And uh, they were not popular at all with the Israelites. It was kind of like, uh, because when the Israelites came back 70 years later, who'd they find in their house? Samaritans, right? It's like Goldilocks, except for thousands of years ago, right? They came back and they didn't like it that, that the Samaritans were in their bed eating their porridge and sitting in their rocking chair. They didn't like that at all. They were upset because that was their place. And also what the Samaritans had done is they had taken the pure and righteous worship of the Israelites and they had mixed it with all this other ancient Near Eastern mythologies and things like that. So not even the worship was the same anymore. It was this completely distinct class of people. And those were the Samaritans. And so Jesus, in going and speaking to the Samaritan woman, was was it was a major break from what common protocol. It was just not culturally acceptable for Jesus to be talking to a Samaritan woman. Most Israelites would go around the areas that the Samaritan lived because they didn't want to have any interaction with them. But Jesus, here he is at the well, speaking to the Samaritan woman. And what we see here is evangelism. But it's not your typical form of evangelism. You know, typically we think of evangelism as the Christian equivalent of a one-liner at a bar. Right? You know, uh, so you go to church often? Kind of something like that. Right? We just kind of throw those things out, and that opens up the conversation, and then we can talk about Jesus, and then it's all done. Right? But Jesus' opening statement is not that kind of statement, is it? He says, give me a drink. Right? That is his, that's the way he opens up this conversation. Not the most appealing, not the most uh, polished statement, but it's exactly what he needs. He says, get me a drink. And then this begins an argument over wells and water and where to worship as Jesus and the Samaritan woman go back and forth about these perceptions in their, their, uh, their cultures. And then Jesus does an interesting thing. They're having this discussion going back and forth, and then Jesus points out her sin. Not in a biting way, not in an angry or vindictive way. He just lays it out there. Jesus says to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one who you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus reveals the state of her life. He shines his light inside of her, which is what God does. He shines his light in there to those dark places, and he reveals what's in there. And the fact is, she's living this Elizabeth Taylor kind of life, and she's got, you know, a history of broken relationships behind her. And then he reveals his power to her. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. I'm the Messiah, Jesus says to her. I'm the one you've been looking for. I'm the one you've been speaking about. I'm the one the prophets have written about. I am he. He has this clear and open revelation of who he is, that he is the salvation of the world to this woman. Very rarely has he revealed this in this very blatant way, and yet he does to this Samaritan woman, this woman who is, he culturally shouldn't even have been in conversation with. He reveals who he really is to her. And she believes him, mostly. She believes him pretty much. 
right? Because she goes and tells the other people, even though she's not completely convinced, and they believe too. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? Apparently, though, she's pretty convincing because her, her, the other Samaritans around her leave the city and they come to go see Jesus. Now, the part that I really like about this passage is when the disciples roll up, right? They come at the end of the conversation and they're astonished that Jesus is speaking to this woman. But then Jesus tells them, I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus explains here the process of evangelism. It's not that one person does every step. It's that each person steps in at a precisely orchestrated time by God and brings this harvest to fruition. One thing that strikes me about this passage is that the Samaritans were considered godless and not worthy of evangelism. Good Jewish people go out of their way to not engage with these people. Yet Jesus sat at the well and talked to a Samaritan worst offender, someone whose life was completely out of, out, out of control, and he engaged her, and through her, we see how hungry the Samaritans really were for God. The Jews claimed they were godless. The Jews claimed they were empty, and yet they were hungry. They wanted to know so badly who this Messiah was. They wanted hope. They wanted purpose. They wanted direction. They wanted Jesus. And when they heard that he was there at the well, even though the person bearing the testimony didn't have her life altogether, when they hear that he's at the well, they come out in droves to see the Messiah. Now here we are in the West. Right? Anyone ever spent any time in the South? Not the South, California. Like the South. Yeah. And when you're in the South, when people talk about California uh, and they talk about religion in California, what do they usually say? That it's really good, right? Yeah. No, they usually call it like the godless West or something like that, you know? Like it's just vacuous out there in California. There's nothing going on. You know, Christianity is dead. But Jesus doesn't see it that way. When Jesus looks at California, he doesn't see it as the godless West. He doesn't see it like Samaria. Instead, Jesus sees a place that is ripe for the harvest because there's so much need, so much emptiness. There's so much longing for an answer. So how will you and I respond? What will we take? Well, how will we deal with evangelism? How will we deal with the fact that we're in the midst of a place that is ripe for harvest? How will we live our lives? What will we do? Because God's counting on you and me to be a part of his plan. He's counting on us to fill in in the places that he has placed us. He's counting on us to be faithful with the responsibilities he's given us. Will we let our prejudices get in the way? Or will we extend ourselves to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ with our words and our actions? Now the beautiful thing about doing evangelism God's way is that evangelism is not Christian one-liners. 
We don't need to be witty and practice our, you know, first line. We don't need to have it all laid out. And we don't have to be something that we're not. No, the amazing thing is that God wants to use us in the place that we are now, as we are now. The Samaritan woman, did she have to get it all together before she went back to the village? No, they didn't have a hasty marriage ceremony to, like, fix that whole thing with her. No, she didn't. She just went. She said, I am willing right now to go. I am willing to go and preach the message that I have heard. God's not interested in where you are not. He is interested in where you are now, and he wants to use you now. He wants you to be available to him now, to say, God, use me however you will to bring about your plan of salvation. He's not asking for us to change everything in our life and then share the message, but to immediately say yes to his plan of redeeming the world one step at a time. Now, just like at the yogurt shop, we're not necessarily responsible for building the whole concoction, right? We don't have to fill the yogurt in there and put all the toppings on and and present it finished. No, we're just responsible for putting on a couple toppings for doing exactly the thing that God has put us in that place for at that time. We are responsible for just one layer in this thing that God is making. We are responsible for, for being faithful with that little bit that God has given us, and we pass it on to somebody else, and we say, here, this is what I have from the Lord, and I give it to you. That's what our lives are designed to be lived like, faithful in the little things, extending those for the good of those around us, And ultimately, through God's power, transforming the world for Jesus' name. That's our life as Christians. One or two toppings. My prayer for us is that we would be people who are willing to step out of our comfort zone, willing through our actions, through our words, through the way that we live our lives, through our generosity and faithfulness, that we would be people who would share the good news of Jesus Christ with a world that is desperately in need of hope, desperately in need of the message of salvation in Christ alone. May we be faithful this day and forevermore. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you used this broken and hurting Samaritan woman, Lord, to bring many to faith in you. Lord, and I thank you that ultimately you are the one who is attracting people to yourself, Lord. Please use us. Use our strengths. Use our weaknesses. Use, the, use the, the passion in our hearts, Lord, to bring people to you. I pray that you would help us to be available and ready, Lord, when those situations present themselves where we can bear testimony to you. And may we be faithful with what we are untrusted with. Lord, and ultimately, may your name be glorified, Lord, by the way we live our lives and by the hope we share. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.